Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media. Today in studio, in a very trippy Bloor Street studio, uh, we have Mike Zeisberger of the Toronto Sun, uh, sports columnist, focuses a lot on hockey. Uh, he's here today to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, the cup final just ended, we'll wrap that up, and we'll get into some expansion draft banter. Mike, what's going on? Not much. Uh, everything... Uh... Everything new is old again, or vice versa. I remember I uh, had the privilege of doing this first podcast, and it's taken off. Congratulations uh, to you. And we started the season talking about the defending champion Pittsburgh Penguins, and we end the season talking about the champion <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, it's it's great that you mentioned that because you were my first guest. Now it's, I believe, 43, the 43rd episode. We got to start using those Roman numerals like the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> what would that even be? Triple X something? I don't even know how to use <laughs> those know. things. I know. But anyway, so it's great to have you as sort of the bookends of, of the season. Um, and I remember when we did the first podcast, you know, we were both high on Tampa. We talked about how Pittsburgh looked like they could could repeat. Um, and I, I liked the Sharks at that point. Um, I believe, who did you have going to the final? I did have the, uh, the, the Predators going to the, the final. I had them losing to uh, to Tampa Bay. That's um, pretty good. One out of two. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, listen, people out there, it's we have a record of it, okay? I'm not just pulling <laughs> rabbits out of my hat. But uh, the, one, the, the one thing is, I mean, I didn't, I thought that when they lost Ryan Johansson, because I still think that that is the Achilles heel of that team. Um, we saw that they didn't score a goal before the whistle, anyways, Yeah. Um, in the last two games of the final. So uh, I give them credit. But, um, you know, you look. I still look at that Tampa team. I mean, they lost three centers in the same game, yeah. okay? And you don't like to use injuries as, as an excuse. But you know what? I'm going to go on record. Um, what are we, 48 hours after the cup has been? Yeah, uh, around that, yeah. Yeah, I'm picking Tampa again. Wow. Even at, even before all the madness that this uh, offseason will bring? Well. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying the Vegas I'm writing Knights it, are going to I'm writing it in pencil. Now, I know most <laughs> of the listeners don't know what a pencil is, okay? <laughs> they know a pen. They know, like, a laptop and things like that. But, yes, I'm using an old-school pencil with an eraser on it. Okay, so. okay, okay. That's fair. That's bold, fair. Um I don't think too many people would argue on on that point because, I mean, Tampa on paper is really one of the best teams. Just it was a disastrous season in terms of injuries. You know, you can throw luck around all you want, um, and they, they still they, they still challenge in. for for a playoff yeah. spot. You know, Nikita Kucherov takes some on his back for the last couple of weeks there. But uh, if we can dwell on the on the Cup final for a moment, yep. 
I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of of the final in terms of entertainment value. I mean, there was a couple of interesting storylines, if you want to call it that, with Subban and, and Crosby kind of going at it. Um, you know, the injuries, the fact that players were stepping up, that's cool. Uh, you know, the goaltending with Matt Murray, that's that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, but overall, you know, if you look back at, at, at different Stanley Cups, there wasn't really that sort of two Titans, you know, going back and forth. There'd be stretches of uh, you know, Pittsburgh playing really well, and then there'd be stretches of Nashville playing really well, and it never seemed like they were on the same page and and produced anything, you know, uh, worthy of, of the cup final. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was just, it was an okay cup final. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the star of the cup final was probably the city of Nashville yeah. in the way that, uh, you know, you're almost... You're almost more interested in who was in the private boxes in the, in Nashville <laughs> and who was playing the tunes outside than you were in the games inside. Um, no, you make a great point. And you know what? I didn't think that last year's final with the Sharks was that kind of battle of two Titans either. I don't know um, what the explanation is for that. But I'll tell you, John, the thing that I find the most remarkable uh, when all is said and done and... You know, I, I know it got brought up, but it, it it got lost a little bit to me with, with all the storylines that you talked about, is that what the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to accomplish with that defense, and I'll go, I'll go back to something. So if you look at the salary cap era, um, the first team, the 06 Carolina Hurricanes, which, by the way, had the same general right. manager and Jim Rutherford, um, I'm not saying they were a bad defense, but they didn't have a stud back there, that go-to blue line. Yep. Now, let's go year by year really quick, Reader's Digest version since then. 2007 Anaheim Ducks. I mean, Pronger and Niedermeyer, what, what do you want? 2008, Nick Lidstrom, enough said. 2009, some people have talked about, well, Pittsburgh's defense wasn't that great then. You know, Chris Letang was a rookie. Um, 2010 was Duncan Keith with the Hawks. 2011, future Hall of Famer Zidane Chera with the Bruins. Um, 2012, Drew Doughty of the Kings. 13, we have the Hawks and Keith again. 14, Doughty and the Kings. Uh, 15, <laughs> Duncan Keith and the Hawks again. <laughs> and then last year, Chris Letang. So it almost was the recipe for success in the salary cap era that you needed that stud defenseman. You know, we've seen goalies shift a little bit, um, you know, forwards come and go. But that seemed to be the common thread. And so for me, what the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to do with this defensive unit, I think I heard um, Hockey Night in Canada's Elliot Friedman say it's the first time, now I'm not sure if that goes back to, to the Hurricanes, but since then, it's the first time that a Stanley Cup winning team, their top six defensemen, right. have never had at least one Norris Trophy vote of any kind. That, that that's a perfect kind of you know fact to throw out there that really yeah. shows how, how how important it has been and how consistent it's been to have that number one. But do you think? But but then you look at you know the matchup up front between Pittsburgh and and Nashville and. The centers, it was just a bloodbath, right? At least on paper, there were times when Nashville was, you know, going up, going up against Crosby and Malkin and and holding their own. But over over six games, uh, they just they couldn't keep up. And I wonder if this is I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it's an anomaly and that you know years to come, 
you'll still need that stud defenseman, or yeah, at, le- I, at least at least maybe two two you know uh, fringe stud defensemen. Yeah. Um, like that that Pittsburgh blue line was not good. Even you know you win the cup with that those guys, but. No one even even you know Mike Sullivan isn't going around going what a blue line we had. Like, oh yeah, he, he's sort of like I don't know how we did that with that blue line. That's that's sort of the feeling Agreed. I got from his quotes after. No, I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and uh, you know it's such a it's such a trendy league that no sooner had the Penguins taken their first sip out of the mug than you already saw these stories appearing on on TV and radio and the internet. Well, you know I. Uh, you don't need that stud defenseman. You yeah. can, you know, we can do the Pittsburgh blueprint. You know what? Pittsburgh's blueprint wasn't even Pittsburgh's blueprint for this, okay? <laughs> they just like, fell into yeah, this situation. That's, that's yeah. you know, they made a best of that situation. I mean, let's not forget that when you take Ryan Johansson out of the mix uh, for the Nashville Predators, and then you're looking at our, uh, offense uh, from them, um, you know, you got Forsberg, you got James Neal, Arvidsson, but it falls off yeah. really quick. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I mean, it's it's Colton Sissons was a was a great great story, but you cannot expect to have that consistency. You know, uh, Watson was a was a hell of a player, and yeah. I, I think that. But to me, if you looked at the entire Nashville roster, you know, and maybe other other than Rene, and that's debatable. But if you said which player can this team Ill, most ill afford to lose? It was Ryan Johansson. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe you say the same about Pittsburgh and Latang, but they found a way. Um, because I think, John, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but when you talk about skating and you talk about zone play and you talk about carrying the play, right? Um, if you take game five out of the mix, I'm not so sure that, you know, the needle isn't like 55-45 in terms of Nashville. Um, I, I I don't think that Pittsburgh won the Stanley Cup with any kind of dominance of any no. kind. But they just, they found a way against Washington. They went in double overtime against Ottawa. Um, they endure in game six and then they get that. Well, you know, Patrick Hornquist scores from basically the goal yeah. line. like, And then... You know, you bring up Sissons. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure he was the one who got the goal called off. Yep. Uh, the the early whistle there. So, yeah, this thing could have went the other way very easily. And like you alluded to, Pittsburgh was getting outplayed at certain times in the series, like very badly. Like the game that they won five three, they had twelve shots. The, yep. That's not sustainable. You can pull it off over a short short period of time, and and they they ultimately did. Um, it's a credit to Matt Murray too, because there were times in the series where I'm going, you know, if if he lets in a bad goal, this could all fall apart. Um, because that that defense, like, it was just so unpredictable and so shaky. Guys, when they have the puck on the sticks on their sticks, you're going, yeah, is the puck just gonna ex- is, is it just gonna explode off of their stick and it's gonna you know be a breakaway the other way for Nashville? Uh, they were just getting beat to the outside constantly by a pretty good forecheck by Nashville and. Ultimately, I guess the, the high end scoring of Pittsburgh somehow prevailed. I like it. I, I you know do it a hundred times over, and maybe it happens you know forty times out of out of a hundred. You know what I mean? It, it's sort yeah. of one of those things where I don't know how many people would bet on that happening again. All things equal. Well, do you believe in intangibles? Because I think that that sometimes is among the most overused words in sports. But when I look at the Penguins, they just find a way. They find a way. 
And the other thing that really impresses me, and by the way, you brought up Matt Murray. I mean, sometimes with the proliferation of, of social media and that, there's some really ridiculous things that are thrown out there. And the fact that there was actually people out there questioning as to after games three and four, whether Matt Murray should be pulled uh, for game five. I mean, uh, how many of those games in Nashville, in games three and four, how many of those goals came on odd man rushes or breakaways? Yeah. So um, I found that a, a bit ridiculous. The other, when you look at the overall scheme of things, the one thing that I find fascinating and I find it a very much a key to Pittsburgh's success is that, yeah, they have, like the Chicago Blackhawks, they have a cachet of players, um, who get a good chunk of the salary cap pie. We, we right. talk about Malkin, Crosby, Latang, Kessel, Fleury, although he's waived his no movement. So uh, I think he's his days in Pittsburgh are over. But the fact that, you know, when they made Mike Sullivan the coach um, midway through the 15-16 season, and he had been with the farm team, and you look at the guys that have come up to help this team. I mean, uh, it's been seamless, right? These guys just step in, and I mean, I, I I don't follow the Pittsburgh Penguins daily during the regular season, but I don't remember there being too many false alarms or too no. many broken prospects. It's like Sullivan knows the system. He goes, "All right, Rust, you're in. All right, Cheery, you're yeah. in." And more or less, they they contribute, and you know, they go on Crosby's line or Malkin's line. They score line big and, ga- goals. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, that's absolutely a, a huge part You know, part of uh, Gensel this year, Matt Murray, okay? And a lot of those guys played for Mike Sullivan. And I think that, that, that there's something to be learned there that, you know, I mean, and it's something, you know, uh, maybe the, the, the Blackhawks, I think, finally their, you know, their shelf life in terms of the support players kind of ran out a bit. I mean, uh, you got to give them, you got to give them credit, uh, what Stan Bowman's managed to do with that core, but you know, maybe they're, maybe they're just reloading. I mean, you got to coming up, yeah. uh, you know, uh, skilled players to that ilk. And it's something that Pittsburgh has been able to do. So I think you're going to see, you know, I, I, I think the problem for a team like the Los Angeles Kings is that they didn't replenish no. the support players enough and you had guys like a Dustin Brown get old. And, yep. and, you know, you have to inject youthful players around that core. It, that seemed, You know, you look at the Hawks um, up until maybe this year, and you look at the way the Penguins have done it the last two years, that seems to be the recipe. Now let's talk about your favorite story or something you'll remember in 10 years from this season. I don't know. If you can pinpoint one thing, I'll throw out a couple and may, and you can pick one or you can pick another one that I don't mention. Okay. Connor McDavid and, and his sort of coming out party with 100 points. Uh, Eric Carlson and his uh, magnificent playoffs, you know, playing with basically a broken foot. Um, the Capitals not being able to get it done again. Uh, those are three that come to mind off the top of my head uh, as, as stories that I may, you know, in 10 years go, oh, that was the season that that happened. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go before that, and I know it's not the NHL season per se, but I'm gonna go back to the World Cup of Hockey, okay? Which a lot of people didn't thought it was shtick, and I can understand why. Although the guy that seems to be winning everything in the world in Sidney Crosby was the one guy that took it seriously. And we all, <laughs> yeah, he really did. We saw we saw what happened there, but 
it he was got, he got Brad Marchand paid as well. <laughs> that's I that's right. But continue. Do you remember? Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a big biggest story in the Marchand household. Yeah, how he because of we media bringing up, hey Sid, would you like Marchand to play with you? He's going to become a free agent at the end of the year, and all of a sudden the Bruins yeah. are announcing during the World Cup that they've signed him to an extension. You're welcome, Brad. Um, <laughs> but the young guns and the way that the sport has kind of rejuvenated itself. I mean, I, I, I can't remember a cachet of young players coming in so skilled. I mean, we look at a kid like Nathan McKinnon, and we take him for granted. He yeah. plays in Colorado. Their team has been, um, no offense, but crap for a couple of years. And he kind of gets lost out there. And then you watch the World Championships and what this kid can do, and you forget. I mean how young he is. He's not even 24 yet, okay? And then, I mean, we can just go down the list, but that Young Guns team, I mean, from McDavid to Austin Matthews, let's go down the list. Finland had Line. Um, Jacob Truba and guys like exactly. that. Exactly. Um, well, um, Colin Pareko was on that team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you just you just go down the list, and I think it, I think it bodes very well for the sport um, because I think that the – Skill level is at, is at the highest that it's ever been. And I think now you see that trickle-down effect, too. It's it's funny. Um, I was listening to a uh, radio show out, out of Buffalo with the former en- enforcer, a- Andrew Peters, yeah, okay. who hosts a show called The Instigators. And he brought up the point that you don't call it third or fourth line anymore. You call it the top six and the bottom six. Well, Carl Haglin was on the fourth line, or the bottom six, so to speak, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, he was a mainstay last year. He was part of that HBK line with Benino and Kessel. Um, So just, I think you have that with with this infusion of skill into the league. You have this trickle-down effect where your fourth line isn't necessarily the checking line anymore. They can score, and I think... When you when you piece it all together, I just think that it makes the product so much better. Well, and it's it's sort of this new wave, right? It's sort of guys that grew up watching Kane, grew up watching yeah. Crosby, and they didn't they they didn't grow up watching you know guys fighting or uh, power forwards like Eric Lindros. Which there's nothing wrong with Eric Lindros, but he had a very physical part to his game that maybe overshadowed you know the puck skills or or the vision or whatever. And now they're looking up to guys that. Like, you know, you you ask 10 prospects uh, in a row, you know, who's your favorite player? Who do you look up to? Patrick Kane's like, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, five, five out of 10 would say Patrick Kane, like for sure. It's just he's one of those electrifying guys and then they start emulating him. And, and next thing you know, they're in the league and they're they're the next Patrick Kane. Um, and you're really seeing that come through with these last two drafts with uh, Line A. Matthews and then McDavid and Eichel. Like, I think Eichel still has oh. leaps and bounds left of his ceiling in terms of these other three guys have really gotten their sort of uh, headlines and gotten their 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 accolades. Like, Eichel might, who knows, maybe he has the best season out of the four of them next year yeah. when, when Buffalo gets it together. Uh, who knows? But I just think he's been a little forgotten about, yep. and that's pretty crazy to, to think considering uh, what type of season the Calder – the Calder class had with even you throwing Warenski, like you can go down the list. All oh the yeah. And, and, uh, you know, you bring up a great, uh, point about Eichel because, uh, let's not forget that at the beginning of the season, that injury that he suffered and, and 
that kind of derailed him a little bit. But if you look at the points per game that he had oh, yeah. when he returned, I, I mean, that was outstanding. And, and the thing I like about Eichel, and it maybe rubs people the wrong way, I mean, he's, he's not the smoothest skater, yeah. um, but he plays with a chip on his shoulder. And I kind of like that. It's like, you know, even when, even when you know, uh, he was always, he was going to be the number two. He's always been compared to McDavid. Um, I remember covering a, 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 a game late in the season. The Sabres were out of it where um, he just, you know, he mentioned how badly he wants to beat the Leafs. He was tired of hearing Leafs this and Leafs that. And I, I like that competitive edge. Uh, well, you saw it in his uh, end of year press conference. Yeah. Where the body language was horrible, but maybe long term you look at that and go, that's a, that's a player that we want on our team that is so upset about losing and about like you said, the Leafs down the road doing so well, exceeding expectations, and Buffalo's just stuck idling or maybe even going backwards at this point. But I think you brought up a great point too when we talk about the young players is that, uh, um, you know, when they watch Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane's not the biggest no. physical specimen that you'll find. And in fact, uh, probably Johnny back, Goudreau, like the, Yeah, back in small. the Brian Burke era, I mean, there yeah, he just didn't draft guys yep. like that. But you look at it now, what Mitch Marner did this season. Yeah, um, perfect example. And, you know, I brought up uh, Debrinket, and if anybody uh, Googles up, uh, you did an outstanding story during the se- uh, season on Debrinket uh, when, you know, obviously uh, the star with the Erie Otters and yeah. somebody that, you know, may very well be under Patrick Kane's wing in, in Chicago. But um, it's no longer frowned upon. You don't have to be this big hulking guy anymore. And in fact, I think that there is almost a penchant that if it comes between size versus skill, um, people will take the the smaller, more skilled guy rather than the big plotting guy uh, any day of the week now. Yeah, well, you see the older school guys, if you want to call it that, the guys that played in the NHL, now they're in management roles or scouting roles. They're really coming around and going, let's just use it as an example because it just came straight to my my mind when I'm saying this, Dale Hunter in London, him as a player, he was, you know, the meanest guy out there. Yep. Pretty big guy, not in the best shape, you know, just sort of was was grinding away. He had skill, but his his main sort of forte was it was his was his will. Um and now if you go and talk to him about his London Knights players, it's all skill up at the top. It's hockey sense. It's skating. They just there's these guys who who grew up and 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 were adults playing a certain way. They've seen how the game's changed, and they've they've adapted, and that obviously trickles down to to the actual players, uh, you know, being trained by them, and just the hockey, the hockey world in general. Because these guys are influential guys. When Dale Hunter does something, and there's success yeah. at the junior level, the guy next to him down the road is going to do the same, right? So well, and I think we saw the opposite of that um, with with you know that. Uh, kind of Dean Lombardi, uh, the way, yep. you know, he was part of the hierarchy of the U.S. Uh, team at the World Cup that left a lot of prominent skill players off for more checkers and bigger players, and, and that thing was a dumpster fire. I mean, yep. that whole Team USA. That could be one of the worst stories. that We're talking about good stories. Yeah. That, that's probably up there as one of the worst stories. But that's the way, you know, you could argue that the Los Angeles Kings – 
you know, I'm not saying because obviously when you had Kopitar and Doughty and Quick, I mean, the, those are, yeah, those are elite skill yeah. players, but they were always kind of like the throwback Sutter, Sutter coached uh, physical teams. And I think that, you know, Dustin Brown, who we mentioned earlier in the show, um, I just think that maybe that kind of thinking Maybe, uh, you know, the game evolved and Dean Lombardi didn't evolve with it. And you see how quick, I mean, it's not that long ago that the Los Angeles Kings, what, three years ago were hoisting the Stanley Cup. And now uh, I think, you know, depending on what happens in the frenzy that's going to go on in the next three weeks. But if you look at what's on the Kings roster right now, a lot of people would say they'll be hard pressed to make a play, get a playoff spot next year. Yeah. You know, they've been a team that just throws a lot of pucks on the net, yep. which is great, but they were just doing it a little too frequently and giving up those high high scoring chances. So it sounds like Blake and and the coaching staff are going to sort of scrap that and go towards a different system and, and sort of get away from the Daryl Sutter yeah. era. And, you know, you know John, I, I really think that, um, you know, there's still room for dump and chase in the game. I'm not well, going to... It worked I, for the Kings for years. Like, yeah. It was a perfect formula. But, you, you know, and I understand, you have to play to your personnel. The trouble with dump and chase is, if your players who are chasing don't have the foot speed They're getting slow to get and, the yeah. puck, yeah. Um, that that's just a useless way to, to, to play the game. And it goes back to our um, premise of how much the game has evolved. All right, let's talk about... The future, the near future. We have a crazy couple of weeks here. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the Vegas situation. Uh, I got a paper here with a bunch of dates. Uh, I didn't want to forget them. So we're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, on Friday, there's a roster freeze for all teams. And then that next day, every team has to submit uh, a protection list uh, at 5 p.m. So that's on the Saturday. On Sunday at 10 a.m., uh, the protection lists have to be approved. Uh, they're distributed to teams, to the NHLPA. Um, and then and they go public. Yeah, and then... <laughs> Let the scrutiny begin. And, and you know, Vegas has this window where they can negotiate with uh, free agents. Yep. That starts on Sunday. And then, you know, the real magic or the real uh, pizzazz comes out during the NHL awards show next Wednesday. Uh, so only only eight, eight days away. Um, and that's when they reveal their picks. Um, and then... Two days later is the NHL draft. So it's really going to be a whirlwind this, these next 10 days. Um, let's talk about the Vegas expansion draft for a bit here. If you're George McPhee, I know you've talked about or talked to him uh, a couple times this year about his philosophy and his plans and how things are going there. Um, if you're him, if you're in his shoes, what type of team are you building? Or, or, or how are you going about building your roster in the next month? Well... It's difficult to have a, a blueprint other than he has said that they want to build through the draft, and I think that's a smart thing. I think that there's a lot of teams that are panicking right now because they want to protect certain players. The, the, the fact is you have to protect guys who have no, no movement clauses, okay? In a, lot of, in, a, in a lot of cases, those are players that teams don't want yeah. anymore. Because they, uh, they probably negotiated that when yep. they when they sign their huge deal, which you don't like anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much almost across the board what, what happens. Yeah, so I really think that he's going to, when when this is all said and done, he may, you know, 
And I know I tried, you know, I tried one of those simulators right. before the show. Um, you know, it ended up with like Sammy Vatten and was on there. Listen, the Ducks are going to trade Vatten and um, far, far long before. There's no way he's going to be exposed. Okay. Um, Justin Schultz was exposed by the Penguins. I mean, you could argue he was he was their number one yeah. point guy on the power play in the playoffs. So, um, but I think there's going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing. I think that by the time all is said and done, George is probably going to have four or five guys on that team. Hey, he may get. Uh, uh, there was talk of David Clarkson. Now I'm yeah. not. I wasn't even sure what the rules are in terms of if he's eligible or not, but. I think George is going to get four or five, for lack of a better word, um, you know, and no disrespect to them, but in terms of their, their playing days, probably, you know, crappy players for what their salaries are yeah. compared to how they're, play, how they're playing at this point in their careers. But I think he's going to accrue just uh, an outstanding cachet of draft picks, and I think that's the way uh, – that he's going, that they're going to go forward. I am interested to see what happens with Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, George told me at the uh, combine that the face of the franchise is going to be the logo, so they're not oh, okay. clamoring to bring. Yes, yes. You know, like, but they're not going to give up. You know, the, an opportunity to to have some sort of star esque player. But if you bring Mark Andre Fleury in there, okay. And, and I know, you know, uh, you've seen him, you've dealt with him. This guy has just such a magnetizing personality. So you're getting a solid goalie to start, but yep. somebody that you can send out into the community to events to, you know, uh, have kids come in. He's always got the smile on his face. So I'm not saying that you have to get four or five guys like that, but I think that he would be a, a, a good fit and, uh, but other than that, I think that, you know, uh, the team that we see written down, filling out their roster in two to three weeks is going to be far different from the team that we see maybe in 12 months from now. Yeah, it's it's tough to sort of analyze it right now. It's more sort of philosophical or hypothetical, but, and I'm not the first one to bring this up, but I think that Vegas should go after a bunch of goalies, sort of steal all the backups well, all the decent backups that that will yield anything in return. And once the draft's done, yep. hey, who wants a backup? And all yep. of a sudden, you know, they they probably have two decent goalies that they're going to keep, and then the rest they go, yeah, I'll take a second for that. I'll take yep. a third for that. I think that's something because like, I I went through every team and sort of looked at guys that might be available, and I stress might because there could be a trade before uh, the protection lists and before this all goes down, or uh, you know. Uh, it, they just might be they might be protected, but possible ones. You know, you got Eddie Lack. Um, who else do we have here? Jimmy Howard. Like his contract um, is is something that they might want to get rid of. I don't yep. know. So he's a possible guy. Um, James Reimer and Roberto Longo are two guys in Florida. Yep. I'm assuming they're going to protect Longo, but James Reimer is not a bad consolation. No, guys. not at all. Um, Anti Ranta in yep. New York. Maybe he gets traded before Yaroslav Halak in New York. Uh, the Islanders. Um, you mentioned Flurry, uh, Philip uh, Grubauer in Washington seems like a guy that they might keep, on, keep yep. for for actual playing time. Um, you know, you you could go on, almost every team has like an okay backup or a guy that's worth taking and see what 
what happens in, in the lead up to the the next season. So I think that would be a decent yeah I attack think that's to, a good I, I, to target you, maybe fi- maybe take five out of your thirty uh, yeah. picks and and select goalies. I don't know. Yeah, you know, you know what? And uh, you know, uh, you mentioned a couple names there, like Grubauer and Ranta. Um, you know, you might want to keep one of those yeah. two guys, yeah. and if you do, uh, you know, I don't think you're hurting between the pipes. But the other thing is. I think those two guys have some traction on the trade market as well. I mean, not of course. not saying that Eddie Lack or, or, or guys like that. I, I mean, look at what is a team like the like the Calgary Flames? What do they do? I mean, you know, um, I had uh, I, I gathered all a, a bunch of beat writers and, and columnists from the seven Canadian cities. Um, for a piece that's uh, running or has ran in the National Post and uh, the, the, the Sun newspaper chain, who do you think your protected list is? Right. And Eric Francis in Calgary brought up the point that, well, Calgary doesn't have a goalie on the roster <laughs> to protect. I mean, yeah, they could... they're pro- all UFAs, right? Yeah, yeah. they could protect uh, Brian Elliott, but they're not even sure if they, if, if they want him. So, But you have to protect one goalie. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's not like that forward def- defense split. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, there's going to be a market there. And I think the one thing George did tell me, um, you know, I had some general managers tell me at the Combine that this could be the busiest three weeks that any one general manager has had. And George actually said during the expansion draft, between the trades, between it's fluid, okay? What we predict oh, yeah. today in two hours could be different depending on what kind of trade goes on. I mean, you got guys like uh, Dion Phaneuf asked, you know, being asked to waive his no trade. Um, he said they may have to burn the candles on both ends for part of that 48 to 72 hour span. That's how busy it's going to be. Yeah, and it's. It's interesting when you go through all the teams in the league and it really shows teams' depth or, or lack of depth or just the way that their their team is structured in terms of contracts because some teams are, I wouldn't say screwed because it's sort of a compliment that they're losing a good player, but uh, you know the Ducks are one of them where they, they've got to deal a guy like Manson probably, uh, Vatnin, or they're going to lose those guys. Um, you know, I know I know Kevin BX is a guy that that they're talking to and trying to to figure out a deal and, and Vegas might be a place that he goes or is part of a deal involving Vegas. So they've got a lot of, uh, you know, balls in the air. And you know what? Part of it, part of it is, is the luck of the timing. I mean, yeah, you know, you look at a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have seven guys, seven regulars that don't have to be exposed. Okay. Uh, well, like and most of them are because all their cachet of young players just happen to be coming up. Yeah. Now, okay, so they have uh, the guys that they have sort of that they'll probably expose are guys like Josh Levo, who's a might be a decent player, but yeah, uh, they haven't played him much, so clearly they don't think too highly of him. Martin Marinson, Eric Fair, like these are guys that they're not even going to break a sweat over. No, and and you know, there's there's chances, you know, there's debate on whether do you keep because they have so many, their core guys aren't eligible now. If the league would have said you know what, we're going to wait a couple of years on Vegas. So two years down the road, the Maple yeah. Leafs would have been screwed. Yeah. So a, a lot of that has to do with timing. And, and maybe you see that a little bit with Anaheim right now because especially their cachet of defensemen, they're a year or two 
more advanced than the leaf kids yep. are, so they have to be protected or exposed, whereas a lot of the leaf kids don't have to be. Yeah, and then Vegas has uh, a little time to deal with free agents. Um, and I, I think it'll be a desirable place for free agents to go in general. You know, playing time, if, if you're a decent player and, you know, you're stuck in an organization that hasn't been giving you much to, to deal with, yeah. you go to a place, fresh start, and, you know, maybe have a leadership role, whatever, you know, intrigues you about Vegas. I think they might be able to land a couple okay guys. And if I'm thinking about, you know, the, the front office they have and the way that the expansion draft is set up and uh, the possibility of landing a couple okay free agents, like, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year, but I don't. I really don't think they're going to be, you know, a 30th place team. They might be 28th. I think they're going to go off, uh, have a terrible start to the season because they're going to be a bunch of guys just thrown yep. together. But by the end of the the season, there um, with Gerard Gallant, a very uh, a very respected coach, yep. I think they can probably put together an okay season. No, I I, I agree with you uh, on the free agent front. Um, I do think I'm, I'm in line with you that uh, they, they could get a couple of guys that, uh, you know, maybe their talent level is a bit higher than the, you know, maybe they're in a, in a situation where they're coached for some reason, they're at loggerheads or something like that. But I really don't expect to see, and I know there's speculation, oh, you know, they can throw all this money at TJ Oshie or Kevin Shattenkirk, the top-end guys. Those guys want to win now. Yeah. Let's face it. Plus, um, plus, does Vegas want to handcuff themselves with a bad no, contract exactly. in, in their well, first year? You know, yeah, well, they're going to, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, they're probably going to get saddled with a couple of bad contracts yeah. anyways to take other people's Garbage. junk. Yeah, <laughs> junk. Uh, I like your word better, by the way. Um <laughs> To take to get those those draft picks, um, so yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And let's not forget, um, you know, as 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 wild as Nashville is, okay, having been to Vegas, having seen the situation there, um, I'm not so sure that Las Vegas won't have the best home ice, home city advantage of any team. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, these teams have their father's trips. Oh, yeah. I can They're see going to Vegas 30 <laughs> teams, okay, where the dads are going up to yeah. the management going like, we got to go to Vegas yeah. for our, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I laugh because uh, when, when I was uh, obviously talking to McPhee and mentioned that to him, he says, well, you know what, I bet you there's a casino probably 10 to 20 miles within every NHL arena. Huh, maybe. And I said, yeah. I said, but the difference being in your case, it's 10 to 20 yards, yeah. okay? <laughs> I mean, Don't need to even... there, the T-Mobile arena is right in the heart of the strip. It is surrounded by, by casinos and hotels and the glitz and the lights. And, and you know that they're going to play off that as much as they well, can. Well, they should. It's yeah. just, it's it's just a fine line where you don't want to you don't want to end up being a a spot where players go uh for for the wrong reasons, I guess you could yeah. say. You want them to come and play hockey and maybe, you know, the weather's great, so that's that's an attractive quality to it. Um and maybe they like going out here and there, but yeah, yeah, you got to kind of reel it in and make sure you're not having uh, you know, the the top partiers in the league oh, you know, yeah. hanging out at, in Vegas all the time. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you 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 assume that all these guys are professionals. You assume that they can handle themselves, etc. 
but who knows? Maybe there's well, there's, there's, there's maybe there's a couple guys around the league that that Vegas is going. I don't know if he could if he if he would really fit in here. You know what I mean? Well, you know what? And this is in no way to disrespect uh, uh, Bob Probert. Um, right. You know, uh, may he rest in peace. But I remember when he was going through his uh, issues or had had substance abuse issues. And then he signed with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I, the first thing I thought was, great, Russian Division Street where the places are open till 4 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. like that's just, a, you, you should see the warning lights on that. But I'll, I'll tell you this, John, uh, having been out there in February and toured the facilities and that, when you go out to where their team offices are and their practice rink is, it's very, very residential. I right. mean, the strip is just, it, it, its you see it in the distance, but it's about a 20-minute drive away. And, you is know, it, believe summer, it or not. Is it Summerlin? Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. And and believe it or not, I mean, uh, it's its a good place yeah. for families, yeah. okay? It's its reasonable living. Um, I think they say there's, there's if, if you take in the, the surrounding communities, and I mean, listen, this isn't the Golden Horseshoe. There's only... Yeah. You know, it's a any, desert, and then any couple, direction you yeah. go to, you're going to run into a cacti sooner or later. Okay, <laughs> this is true. But they say there's 2.6 million people that are there, so you've got, you know, a, a, a pretty healthy market, um, a community that everybody that tell this is they've been doing more of their marketing in the community as opposed to the strip, and I think that's pretty smart yeah. because. You're trying out. to yeah. You're trying to attract the people that live there. You're not trying to attract the tourists. Well, on they'll the come strip. anyways, right? The tourists are going to come. Yeah. You know, the hotel will have packages or whatever. But right? I mean, you know, you're going up. Hockey fans that are tourists are going to go to the games, yeah. okay? But people aren't going to Vegas to watch hockey games. They're going on the strip for other things. Hockey is an alternative. Whereas. You are giving people that live in Las Vegas that have their families there. This is all of a sudden something that's theirs, and yeah. and that's the way the team has been marketed. And I think it's pretty smart because I bet you, I bet you, John, if you ask the average person, and I, I this is very non scientific, but right. how many people live in the greater Las Vegas area? I think most of them would be shocked if you said two point six million. I would have assumed it was around a million. Yeah. And that a lot of those people uh, work in the service industry, yep. and I don't know what other industries they have there. Obviously, they they have a ton, but you just you, you know from the outside, you just think you know the lights, the strip. Yeah, you think of just uh, these people that work at night, you know, that work at gambling tables, et cetera, work in bars, uh, hotels, and you don't realize that there's other communities out there, and they they you know they have their normal jobs. No, exactly. I'm actually doing a story on uh, previous expansion drafts. It, it should be out later this week, maybe early next week. Uh, it's about the 98 draft, the the Nashville one, the 99 draft, the Thrashers one, uh, the Wild and the Blue Jackets had one in 2000. So I talked to six players that were drafted in those drafts and sort of got their experiences. And a common thread is that they had an opportunity to do something different. They had an opportunity to showcase themselves to a new organization, to new management, new coaches, and I don't think that'll be much different in Vegas. There's obviously, uh, you know, different. There's a different environment with the NHL in general, with the salary cap and whatnot. Guys probably know each other more than they did back then, um, in terms of you know having the same agent, you know, playing on junior teams, etc. Um, but still, uh, you know, you know, you're going into a situation where 
everyone's kind of hitting the reset button. You know, there's no set lines. Uh, there's no real core. I mean, if you're a free agent or if you get traded to a team, uh, you're kind of one of one of a couple guys, a couple new guys maybe, but this will be everyone's new to the situation. Um, you know, there's no previous relationships, um, at least at least in Vegas. Um, like I said, no set lines, no first pairing, no no penalty kill, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a bunch of misfits, and and you're there to kind of save the day. Um, the, the the main difference, though, right? Uh, you know, 17, 18, 19 years later, is that back then teams could protect 15 players. Uh, now it's it's either ta- it's either 11, uh, the seven three one, or or nine, the eight one. So. Um, you know, there were a lot more throw-ins back then, kind of guys that were just fringe NHLers. I don't think that'll happen as much this time around, but still, um, it, it'll happen uh, to, a, to a smaller degree. Um, Vegas should have a decent team, I would say. Um, not exactly uh, great, but by no means uh, like those, those old expansion teams. Well, they have to because they are taking a calculated risk in putting a team there. Um, although having been there, I think that there's more attraction in terms of popularity in that town that, that then maybe we in the traditional hockey markets give it credit for, but, um, you know, you ought to, I mean, they have to be at least competitive by a certain shelf life. And I, I go back to, um, what you said in the piece that you're doing. I remember, uh, back at the 2016 GMs meetings in, uh, I believe it was in Boca Raton and, you know, the NHL was talking about what their expansion rules would be and moving ahead with yep. all this. And it was likely that Vegas would get the green light. And I remember doing a story where I, I did the rosters of, of Columbus and Minnesota and I, you know, uh, you want to see hockey's version of a dog's breakfast. I mean, <laughs> that was it. I mean, those teams were destined to fail. And the fact that, Jacques Lemaire could systemize a team into not only deflating the puck and sucking any kind of entertainment value out of games, but being able to beat teams via system as opposed to talent. Um, you know, now let's let's not forget that was in the dead puck era. Well, yeah, where it was also ski- a different sort of time. But if you look at that 2000 oh. Wild team, like it. They actually didn't have a terrible record. They were like respectable, like a little below five hundred. But that's like a lot of that's Lemaire. A lot of that's just yeah. hey, yeah. I've got I've got twenty guys and they're all gonna plug into these certain positions and you won't even know the difference between guy one and guy twenty. They're all just playing a certain way. You know, that the the you know, and that's no once again, no disrespect to the players on either of those teams, but you know, when I when I first looked at those rosters, the first <laughs> thing you think of the these teams are built to fail, and yeah. the system that was implemented in terms of expansion draft rules seemed to be to make those teams fail. And I know that that wasn't the mandate, but it's, you know, you look at those rosters, and it sure looked like it. Yeah, and the fact that there was no salary cap then, uh, yeah. and now that there is, it just completely complicates complicates everything. And that's why these next few weeks are going to be nuts. Um, I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I'm going to give you one more question. So Sidney Crosby has three cups now, you know, two con smites. You can go down the list, World Cup, Olympics, et cetera. Do you put him in the top five of all time? I'm saying Gretzky, Lemieux, or and how are the four that people seem to be um, 
decided upon as a top four, and I'm totally putting you on the spot here, and you're thinking about it, I can tell. Is, it, is he at least challenging for number five oh, with the with the Richards and definitely um, maybe Harvey? I don't know who else you put in. Def- well, uh, you know, I've Lindstrom, caused a lot. Lindstrom's got to be in I've, I, Yeah, I, I've caused a lot of, uh, you know, uh, guffuffle over, over my picks. I mean, you know, when you get asked, who would your who would your Mount Rushmore the who would your four guys be yeah. if it was top four, um, you know and and shame on me but I didn't have Mario in there okay. I had Rocket Richard I mean he was the first guy to score fifty goals I mean you know to put into that perspective I understand so I guess the <laughs> that's question a, is that's then... a that's a tough one because then I put Mario I do yeah. put Mario in there um, <laughs> do I get a five A and five B uh, I certainly, you know, the one thing about Sid that fascinates me is, and, and getting to know him in the last decade or so, is that I would argue from a raw talent point of view, right? Um, I would say he was the most talented, arguably with Ovi, uh, the most talented player in the world when it, for the first few years of his career. I don't think that now. I don't think he's in the top five most talented players right now in terms of raw skill. Okay. Um, why he's the best player in the league right now is because of his heart, um, if I'm allowed to say it, because of his stones and because of his will to win. And those are three things that we take for granted. But you mentioned it. I, I tweeted this out right after they had won the cup. So three cups. Two Olympic gold medals, a world junior, a world cup, a world championship, and then you start going like like he's won the Ted Lindsay three times, okay? That's voted on by your peers yeah. in the National Hockey League as being the best player. And we haven't even got into the hearts and the and the art oh, rosses right, yeah. and then back to back con smice. So you know what? I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm on the fence with it, John. I certainly say the top six. There could be a debate as to the top five. Um, well, when it's all said and done, right? He's only, he's not even thirty yet. We'll see how long he plays because of his injuries. But yeah. you know, he's still got. Let's say he plays even to thirty-five, like and and relatively healthy. Like he's still got five years to kind of gain traction yeah. and and get past maybe a Lemieux or whoever someone might have at number five. Um, it's it's interesting though, like he's already up there, and, and yeah. it's it's uh it's pretty wild the uh, the amount of things he's been able to accomplish at a team level, at a personal level, and this season's one of the, one of his I think crowning achievements in terms of the amount of goals he scored in the regular season. Yeah. Like, what what player scores more goals as he gets older, which seems to be what he yeah. did this year, and then uh, and then obviously you know winning the cup without a Chris Letang and. And winning the Conn Smythe and, and deservedly so, I guess you could have made uh, an argument for Malkin. And, yep. if, and if Murray had had played the whole playoffs, he probably would have won it. But nevertheless, there weren't too many people saying that Crosby didn't deserve the Conn Smythe, which is impressive at at twenty nine. Well, let me put something back at you. Why are there so many Sid haters out there? I don't know. I don't really. I don't really get that one. Other than um, he, he, they, he he got a Weiner tag at the beginning of his career. I don't know if that's still fair now or if it was ever fair. But whatever. I mean that that's something that doesn't really that that doesn't really come into my my uh, they call criteria. Him a, yeah, they call him a whiner, and yet when he pushes back, okay, then they say, "Well, he's a dirty little so and so." Yeah. Okay. And and well, it, it's just like LeBron, right? I mean, with LeBron, there's there's haters out there 
Not sure why, but there's haters. You know, refs give him uh, an easier time. That seems to be something that's kind of that's evolved and, and become a, a th- almost a hard fact. Um, so people get upset about that, and people just don't don't like liking uh, the the best player in the world because they're not on their team or whatever, right? I mean, like it's just it's just kind of human nature to be like. I hate LeBron. I hate Sidney Crosby. Yep. And then people actually ask you why, and you go, oh, because it is. And it's just, you don't really have a concrete reason. You just <laughs> happen to not like them because they're not on your team. Well, and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll end on this note uh, to show you that sometimes, you know, there's more substance to, to some of these guys in perception. In the case of Sidney Crosby, there's a clip going around where there's a little guy, a little boy that was at the Pittsburgh airport on Monday when the Penguins landed. Um, there were a lot of there were a lot of fans, obviously, waiting for the Penguins to bring home the cup. And TV station, local TV station, Pittsburgh, got a clip of this. Yeah, and he's wearing a Penguins jersey, and so they're interviewing him. He can't be more. I I, I am guessing like four or five, six okay. years old. And he's crying. And he says, I got Sidney Crosby's autograph. And the interviewer says, well, why are you crying? <laughs> because this is the best day of my life. Wow. And he's just... And you know what? You talk about the guy and a whiner and something like that. He does those things. Well, he's a really and good ambassador for the game. I don't we, think anyone's going to, you know, discredit we that. We take those things we take those things for granted sometimes when you're not around the game. I think people think that oh, they all do it. No, they all don't do it. Yeah. And and we've seen that. And on the other hand, you can you can talk all you want um the PK bashers out there, you know, should he have said the things about Sidney Crosby's breath. Uh, they obviously mu- the Predators PR muzzled them for th- yeah. for the last three days leading up to um, Game Six, to the point that the NHL went to the Predators and said, "We'd like you to make this uh, this guy available," and they I said no. So I understand why he may rub people the wrong way. Go look at some of the ki- kids, uh, the clips of the kids uh, from the Montreal Children's Hospital during those oh, playoffs. Yeah. And what the heartfelt love that they have for him, and for and for the Predators in there. I mean, the guy donated ten million, or you know, um, over time he will have. Donated yeah, 10 donated uh, or pledged. I think yeah. the word is ten million dollars. And you know what? I just sometimes it it, it kind of angers me when people say, "Oh, he's doing it for himself." You know what? No matter what his motivation is. That's ten million dollars that are yeah. helping kids that were that 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 wasn't there before, and so you know when all is said and done, um, you know uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are the Stanley Cup champions, and I think that uh, you know um, the people that get to deal with Sidney Crosby and the kids that get to deal with uh, with with PK Subban, they're the big winners in this whole thing. Oh yeah. I hope P.K. Subban does win a cup sooner than later. I think he's a fantastic player and yep. great for the game. He should be the face of the league 100% for you know a, a laundry list of reasons. So hopefully that works out for him in Nashville. And it clearly the first year went well. Um, Mike, great having you in. And we'll have to do this more often. It was like a six-month delay here. No no problem. Uh, book ends. And uh, you know what? Uh, 
Buckle up, people, because the next three weeks are going to be wild.